Let's be turning in our Bibles to Matthew 13. Though as I was kind of thinking about this, uh, I don't want to make you and and encourage you to be uh, not so diligent in your own Bible, but actually all the scriptures I use are on the sheet today. Made your life a little easy in case you're one of those people using a phone or like me an iPad and uh, trying to sort your way through. I just wanted to offer, uh, begin by offering a little advice that uh, ground vegetable pulp doesn't really do anything for your hair or complexion. Uh, I want to say why I'm going to say that. Um, Tammy and I went out last night for a meal. We had Andrew with us, Andrew Kaluga and also Justin. And we went to one of those high street shops uh, or restaurants in Sully Oak. And it's one of those ones that has tried to maximize the space. So along the edge of the kitchen counter, there's a bar stools and seats. And you're kind of sitting there and there's a little bit of a, you know, a, a raised area. But there's still, you can see into the kitchen, see everybody moving around and everything. But we just happened to sit down in front of this gigantic silver machine. It was a food processor. And uh, a new employee of the uh, restaurant, uh, and as you understand the story, we actually became very good friends with her by the end of this event. Um, She was stuffing it full of all these vegetables that were all ready to be ground up. And uh, she placed the, 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 uh, I was going to say pail, but that's not the right word, the big dish that was going to collect it all. It looked like a pail, silver pail. Uh, it was really not a bowl. I mean, it was much bigger. But anyway, she put this like pot, I guess, right there behind it. And uh, so, you know, she's getting everything ready. And uh, we just got our drinks, and we were waiting for our meals that we'd order. And she flipped the switch. And there's supposed to be a little hood that goes on the back of the processor that shoots all the vegetables. And so before we could say anything, this incredible noise happened, but then the stream of vegetables was just coming at us, went all over the wall, we were just covered, and um, I want to say that it did nothing for our hair or our complexion, but it did get us a 10-pound discount. So from that point of view, it wasn't so bad, okay, but uh, anyway, just a little free advice, uh, Careful where you sit. We're going to be talking about uh, some parables about the kingdom of God again, uh, as we've been sort of doing in a series right now. And uh, this is the major theme of Matthew 13, though we'll actually continue through the Gospel of Matthew and look at the other instances where Jesus told a parable and began it with, the kingdom of heaven is like. But one of the ideas that's important for us about the kingdom of heaven is to realize it's not a physical place so much as it's a spiritual place. It's a kingdom in its full, fullest abstract sense. There is a place, but, but the area that's really important to talk about is our hearts. Uh, it does fill the universe. It, it's everywhere around us. But the idea of the reign of God is really the center of what Jesus is talking about. That he is talking about God having his rightful place as king of the universe. And though there's nothing anyone can ever do to take God out of that place in the universe, we actually as human beings have been given a choice. We have the capacity to worship. And it's interesting because there's people in this world that say they're not religious, but they worship something. And many times people who say they're not religious worship knowledge or what they can experience and, and, and just 
uh, taste, touch, and feel they, they, and see these kind of things. But they actually do worship something. They value something. And often the things we value most aren't visible. Things like love, things like relationship. Yes, there's fruits of love, there's fruits of relationship, but, but there's actually something intangible in our hearts. And Jesus wants us really to, to see this intangible. So he's going to give us, we're going to look at two parables today. And it's funny, if you look at the title, uh, a mustard seed which a man planted in his field, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then a kingdom of heaven is like yeast which a woman mixed into a large amount of flour. That's almost the whole parable. Uh, I was trying to, you know, just not just reduce it into just a simple title, but that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I want us to look at the kingdom effect in the world today. So let's read this together, Matthew 13. Uh, verses 31 to 35. It says, He said to them, oh, sorry, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled which was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things since the creation of the the world." You know, both these parables talk about something that's pretty small. But something actually that people of Jesus' day would have found very useful. Yeast useful, a mustard seed very useful. But these very small things could actually have great effect. They could actually make a difference. And it's interesting because these are such short little sentences, and yet I think there is a simple idea that God wants us to understand. There's even some secrets. Jesus spoke in parables, and it says he'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Wow. I mean, do you realize how lucky we are? How blessed we are? That we can actually hear these things from the, from the mouth of Jesus? It's, that song we just sang, which is a very moving song, but keeps asking a question, were we there? Well, we weren't, but we have the next best thing. Eyewitnesses who were there, inspired of God, wrote down Scripture for us. And so, in a sense, we are there as we read this inspired account. As much as we can trust our own eyes, we can trust what they have written in the Scriptures. And Jesus is answering questions in these kingdom parables that people have. You know, in sociology, there's these things that are called uh, the ultimate, the, the questions of ultimate meaning. And these are your sort of standard, why am I here? What is my purpose? Who made me? Where did I come from? What happens after death? Is there really right and wrong? How do I deal with guilt? You know, all these things are, these are questions that, in fact, no matter what religion you adhere to, religion tries to answer those questions. But really, the answer to all of those questions is the reign of Christ. It's actually the rule of Christ in our hearts. That answers everything. Why are we here? The rule of Christ. What's my purpose? The rule of Christ. What happens after death? The rule of Christ. 
You know, what do I do about my guilt? The rule of Christ. Is there right and wrong? The rule of Christ. I mean, you can just keep going through it. And the answer is very clear. It's very simple. Go to the next slide. That's a mustard seed. Now, that is a pretty small seed, isn't it? You know, from that little seed, a plant can grow up to nine feet in height. Now, you know, this is just amazing. This is just biological life. And Jesus loved to use, in his sort of inanimate parables, he loved to use these kind of objects because life is a miracle. That a seed, you know, a seed, if you even more impressive, the little seed that comes out of a pine cone, because a pine cone has many seeds, but just one little seed can grow into a pine tree 150 feet, feet tall. I mean, that's crazy. And then you think about, you know, a baby developing from a single fertilized egg. Wow. And then they just keep growing, growing, and growing. You know, it, it is amazing what, what God has created. And so this idea, you know, the mustard seed, there's, there's something amazing about the kingdom in that there's some things that are so simple and so small, and yet their potential are absolutely incredible. Now we can go to the next slide. Jesus used the mustard seed to represent something small but powerful. And he's talking about the kingdom, and, and you can't help but, you know, think about uh, Daniel. But bef- be- before we just hit that, I just want to make one comment. He even used yeast like he used, um, uh, uh, sorry, he used the mustard seed like he used yeast. Sorry, I got confused. Uh, he used this to de- describe something else. He talked about the teaching of the Pharisees as being a yeast, and that, that thing is a very interesting idea. What did he mean by that? Sorry. Um, sorry. I, I, my notes are small. I didn't print out a big copy. And without my glasses, I'm, I'm guessing uh, uh, kind of what's next. So I'll keep working on this. Sorry. Um, better to be open than just to stumble here, you know. Thanks, George, for the, the uh, look. Uh, okay, let me back up a little bit. I want to talk about a mustard seed here for a moment still, okay? Uh, you know, it's all blurry, so. But Jesus used a mustard seed, you know, to represent something powerful. And, uh, oh, the, the, his secondary sort of reference to a mustard seed in his teaching was faith. And, and he just wanted to make it clear, you just need a little faith. And something amazing can take place. Because faith is how we consciously engage in God's power. God's power is working all around us, and He doesn't need our faith to work something. But in our faith, God works. And it's amazing what can happen with just a mustard seed of faith. In Matthew 17, Jesus was having a great time up in the mountain with three of His disciples. He was transfigured. But down below, the rest of the disciples were trying to drive out a demon. And we don't really know even how far they got in trying to drive it out. Were they actually telling the demon to go and the demon wouldn't go? Or was the scene just so faith-shaking, they looked at it and said, we can't do it. We, we don't know this, this, the, the situation. Simply know their faith wasn't enough. And later they asked Jesus, because Jesus came on the scene. He'd given them the authority to cast out demons back in Matthew 10. 
They had that power. They should have been able to do it, but they couldn't. Because they, they, could, they knew this truth, but it takes faith to put truth into practice. And so they couldn't do it. Jesus did it in just, just a very short matter of time. Later they asked him, why couldn't we do it? And this is what he said, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now as far as I can tell in scripture, nobody ever moved a mountain. But that wasn't his challenge. His challenge was to make them understand about the power of faith. That faith can do impossible things. Because faith on our side engages with God. And then some amazing things take place. Faith has no power of its own, but it is through faith we connect with God. Another thing that you think about when you think about the kingdom starting small but becoming big is an image that we see in the book of Daniel. And the scriptures we'll read, they're Daniel 2, 34, 35, and then verses 44, 45. But if we go to the next slide, the whole context of this, these two passages is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And in his dream, he saw this statue with these different, uh, basically different body parts being made of different materials, and he didn't understand what it was. But he knew it was from God, and he tested all of his wise men by saying, I want you, want you to interpret my dream. And I love what he says, but I'm not going to tell it to you. If you're really gifted, you'll tell me my dream, and then you'll interpret it. So obviously, all the non-inspired wise men were pretty upset. But Daniel said, you know, I can't do this, but God can. So Daniel told him his dream, and the dream was about the different kingdoms that were coming. But in the time of the Roman Empire, it says, point five, a rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, is going to hit this statue. So let's just read first the dream in verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time because like, and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And he goes on to explain it a few verses later. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. You see the little rock down there at the base of the statue. I always kind of imagine a little bit like a bowling ball. You know, the statue's standing there and there's this perfect strike from God and it's done. You know, sometimes you imagine your bowling pins just disintegrating, right? But what happened in this, the whole thing was destroyed, and then that rock grew and became a mountain. So, you know, Jesus was talking in terms about the kingdom that the Jews of his day had some kind of connection with. 
But of course, when they heard this, they thought, this is going to be an Israel kingdom. This is going to be a physical kingdom. And so many of the people were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for liberation from Roman rule. And this is one of the prophecies that inspired them. We can't wait to crush the nations of the earth. Of course, this wasn't God's plan at all. It wasn't to establish a earthly kingdom. It was something spiritual that, of course, will outlast all of those things. And, and only little vestiges of the Greek or Roman Empire are left. We do have a country today called Greece. No one tries to call it an empire. Economically, you might even say it has a few problems. Okay? You know, the Roman Empire. Well, there is still Rome around the Vatican City. There's still a little peace. You know, that's it. It's all gone. All disintegrated. You know, Babylon... I mean, half of Babylon that, that exists is in the museums around the world, you know. So, I mean, these, these, this has happened. These powers are gone, but, but an invisible kingdom was set up. You know, some have described the origins of Jesus with very poetic words. I just want to read a little poem to you. It says, He was born in a stable and in an obscure village, and from there he traveled less than 200 miles. Now, I just want to say... He was, he was laid in a manger. We assume it's in a stable. But anyways, just want to be accurate. Okay. It says, um, he traveled less than 200 miles. Who here was born in a stable and laid in a manger? I think we all did a little better than that. Uh, who, was, uh, who has traveled only 200 miles? Well, you never know. There might be one or two people here, but that would be a little unusual. It says, he never went to college. He never won an election. He never got married or had children or owned a home. He never had a lot of money. He became a nomadic preacher and popular opinion turned against him. A close friend betrayed him and the others ran away. He was unjustly condemned to death, crucified on a cross among common thieves on a hill overlooking the town dump and when, and when dead was laid in a borrowed grave. Okay, does that sound powerful? It doesn't sound successful. Though I did see a great definition of uh, failure. Failure is success in progress. I saw that on a sign yesterday. Okay. But you know, we look at the story of Jesus. This isn't what the Jews were expecting. They wanted power. They wanted something impressive. But this was God's plan all along. I mean, this truly is a mustard seed beginning. You don't look at this life and in these details and think, wow, look at that. You go, that's going to become the life that changed the world? Of course, I didn't mention that he did work miracles and he did speak the truth in a way that no one else had ever spoken. There's some other things, but we're speaking from just a worldly point of view. There was nothing that would have been impressive about him. And yet, through this life, the kingdom of God came. You know, because of his followers, that they believed in his message and his promises, and that he also was alive and with them in spirit, this message and influence of Jesus spread out to the whole world. It's amazing what has happened in history. And it's because of a conviction and faith. You know, there's been some religions sort of imitate Christianity, 
especially would say Islam is an imitation in many of its manifestations. But what's interesting is Islam used political power, military strength, uh, economic strategies. In, in, in Egypt, what they did is a certain number of people became Muslims, but after they territorially conquered Egypt, they taxed Christians and didn't tax Muslims. And so it became an economic question, if you didn't have enough conviction, to simply pay, to not pay a tax, okay, I'll convert. I mean, that was, a, that was a strategy in history. But see, the success of the spread of truth isn't based in human strength, talent, or wisdom. It's simply about faith. And so there is a connection here, this mustard seed, because with just a little faith, the kingdom spreads. Just a little faith makes all the difference. Let's go to the next slide. We talk about the parable of the yeast. You know, yeast is a living organism of which certain species have the capacity to convert carbohydrates into carbon dioxide, CO2. What's that mean? They produce a, they can produce a gas out of carbohydrates. And uh, we, we understand this because this is what makes your bread when you're baking. It's what makes it rise. Yeast. Yeast can also produce alcohol. It's another thing that it can produce out of carbohydrates. So fermentation is also based in a yeast process. And so we have a picture here in the parable of the yeast. Let's just read it again. It's, it is short. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through the dough. It doesn't even say she baked something. The point wasn't about the baking, though that's ultimately, of course, what the purpose is. The point was that she worked it through the whole dough so the, the, the bread or whatever she was making would rise evenly. You know, Jesus demonstrated in the parable of the sower that just an idea can change you. You know, the word that was sown itself, the seed that was sown, it was the word. And if that word actually is allowed to transform your heart, because that's what that parable is about, will you allow? There's a free will choice here. Will you allow God's word to change you? It's not going to change your heart if you don't allow it to. And so Jesus told a parable and talked about different kinds of hearts based on how they responded to God's word. You know, Jesus also used... Uh, yeast as an example of uh, bad teaching. I already said that when I was not being able to see my notes, okay? You know, when, when he's talking about the teaching that people gave that had a bad effect, it was a yeast. Paul talks about even a sinful behavior being like a yeast in 1 Corinthians 5 in the congregation. We don't want that kind of effect going on. And so Jesus said, watch out for their teaching. And then he even defined it in Luke 12. He said, their, their yeast is hypocrisy. To actually say one thing and do another in their hearts. But you know, it's amazing to think of the power of an idea. How just a simple idea can change you. When you come to a simple conviction about something, change begins to happen. And what I want to do is actually look at a clip it's a, it's a little medley of scenes from a movie called Inception. 
And this idea in Inception is, like what actually happens at the beginning is, this uh, guy who does the operation, so to speak, it's a mixture of medical and various things that you do, putting people into a a deep kind of sleep and entering their dreams. So it's electronics and medical stuff, etc. And good science fiction is still fiction. Okay, but anyways, the idea is that you could actually go into someone's mind and steal a thought. You could trick them into letting the truth out, and if you do it in the right way, then you could actually, they wouldn't know you took it. They wouldn't remember that they told you, kind of thing. So, anyways, what happens in this movie, the movie begins with them trying to extract a thought out of this businessman, and the whole thing goes bad. Uh, He realizes in his dream, the businessman, that somebody's in there in his head, and they got with him on a, on a train that was moving and slipped him a drug and that's how they were able to kind of hitch him up to the machine to get into his dream. But anyways, they were running for their lives. This guy found them and what he actually had was a business proposition. Because what he wanted to know is, I have something different. Can you plant an idea? Can you do the same thing you did? Rather than extract an idea, can you plant an idea? And so this is the whole basis of this film with this business espionage and this idea of planting a thought in the mind of a certain businessman. And let's just watch this and, and, and get some points. Inception. Is it possible? Of course not. If you can steal an idea from someone's mind, why can't you plant one there instead? Okay. Here's me planting an idea in your head. I say to you, don't think about elephants. What are you thinking about? Elephants. Right, but it's not your idea because you know I gave it to you. The subject's mind can always trace the genesis of the idea. True inspiration is impossible to fake. It's not true. Can you do it? Are you offering me a choice? Then you do have a choice. Tell the crew where you want to go. Hey, Mr. Cobb! How complex is the idea? Simply enough. No idea is simple when you need to plant it in somebody else's mind. My main competitor is an old man in poor health. His son will soon inherit control of the corporation. I need him to decide to break up his father's empire. Assemble your team, Mr. Cobb, and choose your people more wisely. Inception. Now, before you bother telling me it's impossible... No, it's perfectly possible. It's just bloody difficult. Interesting. So Arthur keeps telling me it can't be done. <laughs> Arthur. Are you still working with that stick in the mouth? He's good at what he does, right? Oh, he's the best. He has no imagination. Not like you. Listen, if you're going to perform Inception, you need imagination. Let me ask you something. Have you done it before? We tried it. Uh, we got the idea in place, but it didn't take. You didn't plant it deep enough? No, it's not just about depth. You know, 
You need the simplest version of the idea in order for it to grow naturally in your subject's mind. And it's a very subtle art. So what is this idea that you need to plan? We need the heir of a major corporation to dissolve his father's empire. You see right there you have various political motivations and anti-monopolistic sentiments and so forth, but all of that stuff, it's, um, it's really at the mercy of your subject's prejudice, you see. And what you have to do is start at the absolute basic. Which is what? The relationship with the father. Robert Fisher. Yeah, to the Fisher Marrow Energy Conglomerate. What's your problem with this, Mr. Fisher? That's not your concern. Mr. Saito, this, this isn't your typical corporate espionage. You, you asked me for inception. I do hope you understand the, the gravity of that request. Now, the seed that we plant in this man's mind will grow into an idea. This idea will define him. It may come to change. Well, it may come to change everything about him. We are the last company standing between them and total energy dominance. And we can no longer compete. Soon they'll control the energy supply of half the world. In effect, they become a new superpower. The world needs Robert Fisher to change his mind. That's where we come in. How is Robert Fisher's relationship with his father? Rumor is the relationship is quite complicated. Well, we can't work based solely on rumor, can we? Can you get me access to this man here? Browning. Fisher Sr.'s right-hand man, Fisher Jr.'s godfather. It should be possible, if you can get the right references. References are something of a speciality for me, Mr. Saito. Okay, that's the end of the clip. What's going on? Basically, they want him to plant an idea in this heir's mind so that he'll get rid of the company, he'll break up the company, and, and they can do what they want to do. But there's some amazing, interesting, insightful thoughts in this. At one point he says, you need the simplest version of the idea in order for it to grow naturally in your subject's mind. Now, isn't that true about Christianity? Shouldn't our faith be simple? Shouldn't it just be a simple thing to be a Christian? I mean, you don't want to wake up in the morning and go, now, now what was I supposed to be doing again today? Who, who am I? What is this all about? Like, it, it needs to be a little more simple than that. And, and it's important for us to, to, to make it simple, keep it simple. It's also interesting what he said. He's talking about when the second little clip, talking about getting into this person's mind. And he said, well, you really can't go against the prejudices that they already have. In other words, if you plant an idea in there, if they fundamentally disagree with it, they won't accept it. They'll reject it. So you can plant it, but they won't accept it. And that was kind of interesting about even thinking about those questions of ultimate meaning. Because everybody has these questions. And only God can really answer them. And so, you know, the reason to become a Christian isn't because, what should I do on Sundays? Like, that, that's not the reason to become a Christian. Or, or how do I broaden my, uh, you know, my friendship base? You know, these aren't the right questions. If you really want to become a Christian, the questions you're asking are, why am I here? What is my purpose? What happens after death? What do I do with my guilty feelings? All of these things are answered by the reign of Christ. And nothing else. And it is that simple. It is kind of interesting. He said you have to start with the absolute basics, the relationships with the Father. I don't want to over-spiritualize that, but I thought that was, that was quite convenient. 
But then he said also, and this was quite interesting, there was a fear. Because just to plant one idea, one idea can change somebody's life completely. And so he said at this one point near the end, now that seed we plant in this man's mind will grow into an idea. This idea will define him. It may come to change everything about him. And I think if we look at the other parables, we'll go, actually that sounds a lot like what God has in mind. That he is going to plant something in us, and that actually is him and his truth, and that will change us. And we'll actually become something different, something we couldn't have become otherwise. And it's really exciting. You know, the message of the kingdom is simple because it's really just the story of the king. It's the good news about Jesus. And look at these scriptures, Matthew 9, 6. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. That's pretty simple. No one else does. Just the Son of Man. To forgive sins in their eternal consequence. Only the Son of Man. And it goes on to say, in Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a great wake-up thought in the morning. You know, you start thinking about your day that's ahead, and, you know, how long does it take to become a little anxious? How how long does it take to become a little distracted? How long does it take to forget about the, the spiritual kingdom and be worrying about the economic kingdom or the political kingdom? And I'm not talking about the nation, I'm talking about the family. You know, it doesn't take too long till we can be distracted. But this is a simple thought. Just come to Him. Go to Him. Give your burdens to Him. And take His yoke on you. It is, after all, a kingdom. We're co-heirs with Him. At this moment in time, we're not co-rulers. We're co-heirs. And that we get the benefits of the kingdom, but there is only one king. And that king is Jesus. And then there's a great promise just in Matthew 19, 29. After the rich young ruler had gone away a little discouraged, and the disciples were feeling a little challenged about this man, and even the conversation Jesus had, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Now one of the other Gospels throws in, and persecutions, right there at the end. But he says right here, you know, there will be blessings in this life. But actually, most importantly, there's going to be eternal life with God. You know, Jesus said through these parables, he would reveal the mysteries about the kingdom of God. 
And you know, the mystery here is, is fairly simple. The kingdom of heaven is more than it might presently appear to be. So don't underestimate it. It is the fullness of God's plan. God intends, for Christ has been made the ruler of the universe. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He's above everything. But you know, not yet everything is in submission to Him. For the most part, the world is not in submission to Him. That means from a a promise and covenant point of view, they're outside of a relationship with Him. But we know the truth of Scripture, that if we come to Him, if we simply take His yoke on us, in fact, everything changes. The reign of Christ changes everything. So let's just grab this simple thought, the reign of Christ. The rule of Christ in our lives answers everything. It's a simple truth. We will not be the same. It will continue to transform us. It will help us become exactly what God has in mind. Let's pray together as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father and God, we're so grateful for just the amazing promises we have. And Father, the good news of the kingdom is, it's just too, it's, it's almost too amazing to grasp that, that the creator of the universe took human form and became flesh. It, it is really so amazing. And Father, we are so grateful that we know that you love us because of the message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That your son died for us He is the sacrifice for our sins, and through his blood, we have forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for this amazing gift. I pray that we are never ashamed of the message of the kingdom. I pray it can be something that we live out each day, and I pray that we just don't make it something we occasionally talk about, but I pray we make it something that we live out, something that we demonstrate, that it is the overarching truth that lies underneath everything else that we decide, that Jesus is the King, that His sacrifice is the only sacrifice for our sin, and that His way is the only way. Thank you for the instruction of Scripture. Help us to love each other enough to, to keep each other close to the truth. And I pray, Father, that we can imitate Your Son just as He did exactly as You told Him to. Father, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.